Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and we're only days away from the 2021 Grand Final. And in a moment, George Biman and I will be chatting with Melbourne Football Club CEO Gary Pert to get an insight into the mood at the Demons Perth Hub. Tomorrow night, the boys and I will be back to preview the Grand Final, where we'll deep dive into the critical matchups, the key players, and identify both clubs' strengths and weaknesses, as well as give our predictions of the day. All that and more tomorrow night, but first, Gary Pert. Our guest tonight needs no introduction. He's becoming a regular feature on this podcast, with this being his third appearance. He has overseen a record-breaking season on-field in terms of wins for the club and off-field in the form of membership uh, records. Uh, In a few days' time, he may add a Premiership Cup to the club's silverware cabinet. He is Chief Executive Officer of the Melbourne Football Club. Welcome back to the Demonland Podcast, Gary Pert. G'day, guys. Uh, Gary, we spoke to you uh, last just prior to the Eagles match in Perth. And a lot of very exciting things have occurred for the football club in the weeks since then, most notably taking out the minor premiership for the first time since 1964. And more importantly, we've made a grand final for the first time in two decades. It's a very exciting time to be a Demon fan as we're on the cusp of a drought-breaking premiership. Uh, you're, You're currently with the team in Perth. What's the mood like amongst the boys and the coaching and support staff as we head into grand final week? Well, you know, as you talked about, there's a lot of excitement in Melbourne and and so there should be. I think the way we uh, played at the end of the season and the early part of the finals to get to this point, the boys have been playing very good footy and and, uh, all the supporters have enjoyed that and really rallied behind it. It's... uh, uh, you know, the club's in great shape. and But when you get to the resort here where the players are, like, we're, we're away on a campaign to win this Premiership Cup and we're away for a month and it's very focused, it's very calm, it's very, we've got a job to do. Um, you know, the guys enjoy themselves, but uh, in a lot of ways, we've got a young team going into a grand final and not being part of, let, let's call it the AFL Melbourne circus that is the AFL, especially in grand final week, the fact that we're a little bit protected from that um, has kept things very calm and focused. Uh, and, like, you know, there's no doubt we'd love to be at the MCG. We'd love to be with our supporters. We'd love to have open training sessions of thousands of people. But if... There was an advantage in being over here is the fact that it is so calm, focused and uh, very much like the players have got a job to execute. Terrific. Thanks, Gary. The, um, I'm just thinking in, the, in your footy career, you're a champion of Fitzroy, um, member of their team of their century and played with them between um, 82 and 1990. Um, for me, as a D's fan through the 70s and 80s, um, both the Demons and Fitzroy struggled through that period. So as a D's fan, there was always that connection with the Roy boys and I guess an empathy with the fans. Um, I'm interested, your experience for playing for Fitzroy in that period and sort of understanding of how hard it is for fans to go through such a long period without success. Has that informed your thinking about your role as CEO, CEO of the D's? And, and if so, um, how? 
Yeah, look, it, it shaped it a lot. He's, it, when I was at Fitzroy, the entire – I was there for 10 years and the entire time, every single season, even when we had very talented teams – we were always struggling for money. We never, ever had the club set off-field and therefore we, we always felt like the program was compromised and that got harder and harder as the game became a national game and you had these sporting uh, organisations uh, backed by state governments in Adelaide and Perth and and even Queensland coming in with really great resources behind them, great stadium deals. And it just highlighted that in this day and age, um, you need to have that financial stability behind you. And I think that's that's been my fo- big focus. When uh, I took the role at Melbourne, it was about eliminating the debt. It was about uh, getting the club to a point where the business model was highly profitable and that we could build a future fund and really set ourselves up for the long term so that the footy program would never, ever be compromised in such a competitive sporting industry. And I I think we're in that place now. And uh, as long as we handle our uh, business model and we continue to invest in it, I really think for the long term we're we're going to be uh, approaching more of a financial powerhouse rather than someone that's just trying to hang in there. Derek, Gary, that's good to hear. The um, but regardless of the upcoming result on, in the uh, grand final this year, twenty twenty one has been a successful year for the club, particularly on the field. But, but how do you see this on field success affecting the membership numbers and the uh, sponsor in- interest that might have been generated for the coming year? Well, when you look at the sponsors, they've been magnificent. They've stuck with us through thick and thin. They've been, you know, great sponsors. Um, and now they're really excited about where we're at. And there's no doubt with the conversations with your sponsors, with the television exposure and playing in the finals and a grand final, um, that's a great benefit to them as well. So those partnerships um, only get stronger as a result of our on-field performance this year. But members membership's a really interesting one. We've, we've hit a, a record membership uh, just under 55,000 members, and that stopped pretty well dead at halfway through the year because, of course, with COVID, there was no guarantees that supporters that were signing up to become members would be able to get to the MCG and see games. Um, there's no doubt to me with us being on, on top of the ladder the majority of the year, without that, that shutdown of... Um, crowds in Melbourne, we would have got to somewhere between sixty to sixty five thousand members and now that we've if that was our base this year, making a grand final, I have no doubt that we would have been looking towards seventy and seventy five thousand that's that's the sort of impact it has on your membership and I've said it many times and I've said it on this podcast we we are a big club. Now, for a long time, we haven't had consistent on-field performance like, say, the Geelongs and the Hawthorns and the and the Richmonds, and therefore we're, we're probably a small version of ourselves. But if we deliver performance like we have this year, 
Um, I'm really hoping that we uh, finish off the year with a premiership and, and we continue to perform on field for four, five, six years because we've got such a young list. Um, I have no doubt that our membership will up will be sitting right beside the biggest clubs in the competition, and and that's going to be nil. It's putting us back in our rightful place as one of the big power clubs within the competition. Gary, delving a little bit further into the sponsorship um, revenue situation this year, unfortunately. Uh, due to the COVID uh, circumstances, we lost sizable sponsor revenue with the cancelled uh, Alice Springs game. Um, what's the arrangement with the Northern Territory Government and do we have a multi-year contract with them and for how long? Yeah, so we've, we've got a multi-year contract and, and I think uh, with what happened this year, we'll probably take it as a bit of an opportunity to uh, sit down with them again. It's a, it's a three-way partnership between ourselves, the AFL, um, and obviously the Northern Territory government, and and I think we'll probably look to add another game on to the end of that. Um, our players quite enjoy playing up there. We, you know, do a lot of work in the community as well. Um, but right at the moment, that you know, we're very transparent. That's worth eight hundred thousand dollars to us. Um, you know, I think it's important part of our. Um, business model right at the moment to have that locked in. So um, we'll we'll probably look to extend that deal uh, maybe by a year or two as a result of what's happened this year. Gary, COVID obviously will affect our bottom line this year as a result of the no crowds uh, for many home games, the aforementioned Alice Springs home game loss. Uh, how does making the grand final uh, and that's the success we've had this year in any way offset any of these losses and what can we expect in terms of the financials this year? Yeah, so if I, if I give you the round figures, I think you guys know that uh, the, the pandemic shutdown last year cost us uh, $4 million uh, was the impact to us. This year, uh, we had such a strong start of the season we had good gate receipts coming through really strong membership growth and halfway through the year we were forecasting a four million dollar um four million dollar profit and nearly to the day as soon as we got to that spot we had the uh alice springs game coming up we had queen's birthday they were our two very next games when the pandemic closed down uh, Melbourne and any sort of chance of crowd. So we went from halfway through the year forecasting a $4 million profit to um, very quickly ending up the home and away season, struggling even to break even. That, that was the impact and severity of that shutdown to us. We, we basically stop playing in front of crowds from that point on and membership stop. So we would have broke even if we hadn't have made the finals. Um, but making the finals, uh, I would suggest that it'll be somewhere between one and a half, uh, one to one and a half million dollars when you look at uh, things like the, you know, the prize money's not substantial because half of it goes to the players. Um, but, you know, it does add to that. So really, in in our merchandise and our and our um, additional prize money of those things, you could potentially range somewhere between maybe five hundred thousand to one point five if you end up winning the premiership. And Gary, just in terms of building that 
it feels like that you've built a that you've been driving a relationship in Perth, and there seems to be a really good energy from um, people who live in Perth and Western Australia. Do you think there'll be a legacy potentially, um, you know, with that in terms of win or lose for the grand final? Um, that we've sort of I got a foothold, I guess, in in Western Australia. I don't have any doubt. I, I, like the people that are coming to training over here, the people that are sending me uh, emails and, and contacting the club, um, there's a lot of people here that don't have a team and have been caught up in the story and the excitement of Melbourne and they've been out buying merchandise. They've, we've, they went to the preliminary final game. They're going to go to the grand final game. And, and what I've loved is that there's so many kids that have been coming along and being involved as well. And, um, again, I think we all know here that in our membership, uh, um, unlike a lot of the other clubs, we have a, a quite a big hole in our membership at that lower end in the uh, the kids and the young teens. And it's because we haven't won a premiership for a long time and haven't played a grand final for 20 years that some of those kids and we see this through our research, the grandparents are Melbourne supporters, the parents are Melbourne supporters, and then it gets to the kids and they roll up to Oz kick in a Melbourne jumper and some of their teammates around them, their, their school buddies start to tease them because Melbourne mightn't be playing that well. And all of a sudden they, they want a Hawthorne jumper or a Richmond jumper. And we've literally seen that movement and we need to get back performing. We need to have great ambassadors to the club like Maxi Gorn and Cozzy Pickett winning games, doing well. And that'll that'll bring those younger members back to the club. And, and let's face it, they're the future. You, you describe my um, years in primary school. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, well, I hear many stories like that and that, that's why I know. And, that's, and, and while there's lots of stories like that, it clearly through, comes through in the numbers and, and I'm talking about in the thousands and, and that's why it's so important that the kids and the young teens, they are the future of the club um, and we have to find a way to re-engage and a lot of that is about on-field performance but then just creating the right sort of social media platforms and content on our website so that they... They love being involved and they feel proud to be part of the club. So that's what our business model strategy sits behind, um, a far more sophisticated uh, reconnection with those supporters. Um, I was going to ask this later on, but I might jump in now, Andy, that's all yeah, right. Sure. Uh, um, just picking up that comment, the club's been terrific um, right through you know, this year, actually, but in particular in this last month since you've been in Perth with the comms bringing you know, all of the aspects of hub life to the fans from training, from the video set uh, I saw today on the, from the, um, uh, the much anticipated scratch match, the Zoom sessions for the kids. Um, how, how important do you think uh, it's been for the club to share that journey with the fans, obviously here in Melbourne, but I guess everywhere, given um, fans over here are feeling pretty disconnected, you know, while we're in lockdown and, and a bit distant from all of that? Oh, it's it's critically important, and, and we know how hard everyone's doing it in Melbourne, and it's just a again and again and again these closed downs, and and and, and it's just eating away at people's energy and enthusiasm, and 
you know, halfway through the year when we could see this evolving, we, we met as a club and we said, right, we need to be a shining light in the lives of our Melbourne supporters. And how can we do that? We can't be playing at the MCG in front of them. And we're so frustrated and angry about that. But it's something out of our control. What we can do is every single weekend we perform, we can be playing a style of football and winning games and doing well. And that's what will bring the excitement into the lives of the Melbourne people. But to make sure that everyone feels like they belong, um, literally we've, we've called ourselves a virtual club. So we will be, we can't touch and feel and be in the same geographical location of our our the main part of our supporters. But what we can do is we can bring every aspect of the club to our supporters where they are stuck at home, but they can engage with our social media platforms. And so we, we quite often refer, us, refer to ourselves as a virtual club and what are the things we can do every single day to make sure that people feel like they belong, they're connected and they feel proud. And, and that's what our strategy's been. And for me as a fan, one of the great things has been how sincere that's come across from the players, like how often, you know, you know, they reference it, but there's a real sincerity about that connection. So that's been, that's been fantastic that the, the players have really sort of picked that up and run with it. So um, Yeah, and you, you talk about authentic. Can I tell you, we don't have to push our players to do any of those Zoom calls with supporters, to be signing things, to we've asked them to actually ring, you know, and ring supporters and actually just have a chat to them. Uh, we, we don't ask them to do any of those things. They know how important it is and they just uh, do it willingly. And, you know, I, I think we've got the best bunch of players because they get that. They, they get that this club... Um, we are here for our supporters. That's who we're representing. And um, they they embrace that like I've never seen another club ever do before. Yeah, it's been, it has been terrific. It's been really great. Um, just going back to your playing career, um, you were a star, obviously, in defence, but and you played alongside Paul Ruse um, and you were both you know, terrific players to watch. I love watching both of you play. Um, one of the terrific things about you guys playing together is the understanding that you had on field. And it always seemed to me that um, when you played together, um, there was, the sum was greater than the parts. Um, I'm wondering, do you see any parallels um, with the synergy Lever and Maisie seems, seem to have developed over the last year or so? Um, you know what? I actually had never thought of that before, but it's a really good question because, um, you know, I, myself and Rusey played our first games together for Fitzroy and then we played for years, you know, game after game. Um, you know, I was full back. He was in a uh, half back. And, and it does get to a point where I would know, I, I, I would think like him and vice versa. I, I would know whether he was going to mark or whether he was going to spoil or whether he was going to run a particular way. And you can just predict each other and it becomes like a bit of a flow. Um, and I had that with Rusey more than any other player. And it just comes from playing games together and training together and talking about, opposition teams and how you're going to work together just comes with time. And now what we're seeing with with Jake Lever and, and with Maisie is 
they're actually starting to play a lot of footy and, and we're starting to see that flow between the two of them. Um, and even though both of them are experienced players, when you think about it, uh, when we got Jake, um, he then got injured, and at the time he got injured, we got Maisie. So even though they've been around at the club a long time, they actually hadn't played a lot of consistent footy together until, you know, last year, and now we're seeing the benefits of it. Um, but I think if you were to ask them, they would feel pretty much the same now. Um, uh, Gary, as a defender, you'd probably be the perfect person to ask this of, but there's been a bit of a call uh, through the media today about defenders and some way for them to get some type of recognition. They, they don't get a, much of it at the Brownlow. Uh, the forwards have the Colmer medal. Do you think there should be some type of award or, or something to recognise the best defender during a year? Well, uh, so it's an interesting... I was, I was talking to Simon Goodwin about this last night as we left the Brownlow because, let's face it, the the, the the back, the key backs that we've seen it this year, I yeah. mean, why are we playing in a in a grand final? Exactly. Like, our, our back line has been magnificent. And, and whether it's Christian Salem, whether it's Maisie, whether it's Jake Lever, whether it's young Bowie coming in now and making a difference or, you know, like our and, and even Petty stepping in and and the roles they're playing. Like, we know that back line has been a really key factor of putting us into a grand final. But are they going to get any votes? It's very unlikely by the nature of the Brownlow. And when I spoke to Simon Goodwin about it last night, he, his point was a really valid one, which is in the coaches' votes... So when the, a player wins the coach's award, he sees that as pretty well the ultimate award because it does recognise the backman because coaches know that their forward line was completely shut out by a particular backman or maybe two of them. Or a, or a coach knows that they were under pressure but their back line held up and that allowed them to win the game in the end. They see it differently to, let's face it, the umpires are there probably giving votes to whoever gets the most possessions because they've got other things on their mind during the game. So there should be more recognition and I think that comes through the form of things like coaches' awards um, I don't think the umpires are ever going to notice full backs in the same way they notice a guy standing right beside them uh, getting 35 possessions out of the centre each game. I take your point, but uh, of the top 20 in the coaches' votes, uh, there are no backmen in there and two ruckmen, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's probably something to look at. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the yeah, and you're right, it's like to actually have a mechanism to separate it out could be a, so that you actually reckon you're, you're recognizing the different parts of the game. Um, it is, there's merit in that. I, I think it's appropriate because we understand how important they are. Gary, you've, you've spoken about the defenders now, um, but in your time in the VFL, AFL system, have you ever seen a ruckman as good as Max? Um, I've seen some pretty good ruckmen, but I've got to say, not only Max is up there, but I've never seen a ruckman dominate a game or a quarter like uh, happened against Geelong. Like that, that effort there, um, 
I, I was because I was in the race watching it because I I couldn't sit down still, so I was pacing <laughs> up and down in the race, and I was just you're shaking your head laughing like he was playing like a a midfielder the way he was he was moving around the ground and snapping goals and I mean you guys would remember that uh, tackle he did on the boundary like Ruckman just don't. Yeah even try and do that, let alone pull it off. That, that was just one of the great, not only Ruckman, but I think that was one of the great captain's games and definitely captain's quarters that I've ever, ever seen. Uh, there's, there's a lot being made of the fact that we're only going to be playing our second game in almost a month after having the week off in semi-final week and now the week off in the pre-grand final bye Obviously, this scenario is out of our control, but how has the club prepared the boys to compensate for that? And what is your preference in the future in regards to whether it's a pre-finals buy, ditching it, or even having, again, a pre-grand final buy? Yeah, so I don't have any problem with the preparation and the buys that we've had in the lead-up to this. Um, we've, we've, you know, There's been a bit of talk about it. We've had very... Hard, very physical, very competitive um, game simulation, if you like, uh, on the in those periods where we've had a, a two weeks and we've we've had that bye week, and, and we've made sure that that intensity is carried all the way through. Now, I've been standing on the boundary line watching them during those, including a couple of days ago, and. I find it really hard to watch it with um, what we've got coming up. But the, play, the the players know that their performance this year is on the back of that intensity. And they, they want to come into the biggest game of the year knowing they've maintained that intensity all the way through. And um, so I can tell you now, the, the – competition and the aggression and the approach to those simulated training sessions is is to match the fact that they haven't played a game in that weekend. So we won't have lost any momentum as a result of that. As supporters all held their collective breaths on the weekend as they participated in that uh, match simulation and, and then news came through that Charlie Spargo had gone down with an ankle injury. Understandably, the match sim is there, as you mentioned, to offset the buys and keep that match conditioning yeah. into the players. How do you weigh the risk-benefit of doing that when you're going into such an important uh, match? Yeah, and and Spargo's actually hurt his uh, ankle right in front of me when we are doing a tackling drill. He actually wasn't in the yeah, game see. simulation. But um, you, you just got to take that risk. This, this is about the fact that we have um, arguably the fittest list in the competition and Darren Burgess and his team, you know, sh- need to be recognised for the um, the health of our fitness throughout this whole year. It, it really has been exceptional. Um, but it hasn't been because we've been careful or protecting them. It's, it's been quite the opposite. We've, we've built our performance in games on the intensity of how we've, we've committed to in the preseason and then throughout the whole season. And, you know, I know a lot of you would have watched parts of the match simulation the other day, but when you're standing there right beside it and there's no crowd, so you can hear their bodies slap together and the impact on players in those packs when they're contesting, um, it uh, it is 
literally hard to watch. And I'm, as soon as they blow the whistle to finish those sessions, <laughs> I'm so relieved you couldn't believe it. That's the Yeah. It's interesting, Gary, you, you mentioned about um, no injuries at training because Goody made exactly that point that, um, that during the week or after that, that you know, that's how we train and um, it's worked so far. There hasn't been an injury at training this year, which is pretty remarkable, really. Um, speaking of fitness um, going into the grand final, can you give us some updates on, on Spargs, um, Stephen May, Joel Smith um, and uh, Jaden Hunt? Yeah, well, um, I think Spargs is going to be fine. I, I think Spargs is more, um, you, I think we've all had it where you get just a bit of a twist of the ankle and it's sore for a bit of time and you put a bit of ice on it, but there's, you know, there's no structure. It's just a little bit of a, a tweak for a while. So he, he would be fine and I would expect him to be doing all the training and he, he wouldn't even be thinking about it. Um, someone like Maisie, again, we can afford to be a little bit conservative because of uh, we've got a bit of longer time to prepare for it and that's what they've done with him. They've very carefully just been building Maisie up. But, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the doctors, but the, the intensity that he's running and training, uh, I can't see him being... Uh, even a consideration or a concern in any way. And um, anyone that watched Hunty train the other day, I mean, he was running harder and faster than anyone else out on the track. So um, he, he just looked like he, he hadn't missed a beat and quite the opposite. He'd uh, missed a little bit of footy with uh, that injury, so he sort of back even training harder to reprove himself. And even Joel Smith, um, again, I think he's going to be in the same boat. So you're going to have a very fit list and you're going to have a very difficult match selection meeting where they're having to weigh up so many good options and um, uh, the coaches are going to be in the best position possible where I, I think they're, uh, I'd be very surprised if there's anyone that's not available if they, if they are picked and needed to be out there. Gary, you spoke of the importance of uh, Darren Burgess to the fitness and conditioning of the players, um, but it would appear that Darren's going to be lost to the club at the conclusion of this season. What succession plan is in place to ensure his good works and his standards can be maintained? Oh, look, um, and we'll have that. Uh, I've agreed with Burjo that we will have that conversation at the end of the season because it's not something we want to get mixed up in in you know our campaign this year. Uh, I think we've been, and he's he's allowed this. We've been very open and transparent with supporters. The fact that um, his kids had moved back to Adelaide that creates a really difficult and challenging personal scenario for him, which we've supported him on, and we've allowed him as much time as he's needed uh, to maintain that contact and connection. Um, but at the same time. You know he's he's committed himself, uh, and has he and his whole team have delivered an amazing outcome this year. Um, but Selwyn, who we have, who does our re- rehab program, um, and he he was doing the uh, the conditioning program at the Brisbane Lions prior to that. Burjo brought him in because at the start of last year, when I chatted to him and when 
Burjo's family dynamics changed, uh, we wanted to have someone in our program that could potentially uh, step up and um, these are decisions we'll make at the end. But I I would suggest I'm I'm pretty comfortable that we're not going to lose any momentum in the current program that Burjo set up. We're two years into a three-year program and um, uh, I think once we get to that point and announce how we're going to move forward, um, I'm very confident that we won't be losing any momentum regardless of uh, who's in what position. The Brownlow medal last night saw Clayton Oliver achieve third place uh, with the highest ever amount of votes for a Demon player under the 3 one system. As, as a team, it was also our highest aggregate ever, no doubt off the back of the incredible season we've just had. How proud are you of that achievement and uh, how has the feeling been amongst the group of the wonderful result? Obviously, uh, keeping in mind that uh, the job's not done yet and they, they won a premiership rather than the individual honours, but it is still a, a great honour. Yeah, and, and I think we all watched those players. We watched Clary, we watched... Um, you know, all of the Maxi Gordon was sitting there, and Christian Petrarca, and 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 we just had so many exceptional years. And uh, like I said, even though they didn't get votes, but our backline, um, it it really was one of those years that when the votes come out and you see that we got more votes than any other team, that we had so many players right up in the mix throughout the whole count. There was no surprise because these are players playing some of the best football they ever have in their careers. But also we look at them and see that they're young and they're just going to continue to get better. But um, I look, I'm proud of all those guys in the way that they played, but also just the, all of them are great leaders around the club too and are driving the younger guys coming through. Literally, I couldn't be prouder of them as a group, especially at the moment. Gary, you spoke briefly before about uh, hub life uh, uh, over in Perth, um, particularly away from the Melbourne environment and the AFL spotlight. Can you just take us briefly through the life of a, a player in, in that situation, particularly for the young players you know, who are 19, 20 and 21? Yeah, and it's, it is difficult. Like, we've, we've got some of our young players, you know, like Cozzy and Trent Rivers and um, and Jacko that are from Perth. And so they've got family over here and, and that contact for them is really important. Um, when we're in a hub for, you know, sort of uh, three or four months in Queensland last year, they didn't have... Yeah, that took them away from their families. So it's important why we're here that they get that chance to, um, you know, spend a bit of quality time. Uh, but really the the whole life, I'm, I'm, as I'm standing here chatting to you, I'm watching some of the guys playing ball games, you know, just around near the pool or some of them are playing table tennis. Or a lot of them play video games against each other because, let's face it, when you're away for a month and you've got training at certain parts throughout the day, but then there's a lot of uh, time that they spend together. Um, and, and so while it's focused and we're here to do a job, they do have a laugh and spend a lot of good quality time together. So you, it actually bonds the, the group very tightly. I've I no doubt when we come through this and we're back in Melbourne, um, we'll end up a tighter unit than uh, we ever have been. 
Can, can I just um, ask there, in terms of the decision to stay at Joondalup, was that like a slam dunk? It seemed to be a sort of pretty, you know, rather than moving, because that was on the cards, as I understand it. Um, and just with Joondalup, the boys, there's quite a few keen golfers amongst the group. Uh, were they able and have they been able to play the, the course that they have been must have been staring at for a couple of weeks or three weeks with them? Yeah, it's, it's sort of very... Um, it's hard for the boys because they love their golf, quite a few of them, and they're staring, looking at this magnificent golf course, and you're not allowed to go anywhere near it because we're like in a compound. So as soon as we're out of isolation, yes, quite a few of them have gone and had a a, a, a hit, and they've enjoyed that. But as you said, when we were approaching the finals and we're talking to the AFL, we made it very clear um, that we wanted to play and then get it to Perth as quickly as possible to set up, to form a new base and to play our games. We, we wanted to ideally play all our games in Perth and, and so that by the time you, if you can win through to a grand final, you've got the base You've got the players that played on the Perth ground as much as possible. Now, as it worked out with the government regulations, we had to play the first game in Adelaide. But then as quickly as possible, we got here. We've set up a base. Everyone feels really comfortable. We haven't had to move around. Um, It's been a very stable program. And in a lot of ways, we've talked about it with the coaches and leaders we really couldn't, under the circumstances, have had a better program, a better um, base and better setup uh, leading into a grand final than what we've had. So, no, we're, we're very happy with how it was planned out. And luckily, because we finished on top, the AFL basically said, you finish on top and you get the call on where you want to go, where you want to play, where you want to be based, at what locations. So that finishing on top was critically important and you saw the excitement in everyone when we won that game for that reason. And a nice bit of synergy with the Joondalup Footy Club being a, a red and blue, aren't they? Are they the Demons as well at the same time? Yeah, that's right. Them? Well, we've actually, yeah, we've been contacted by a few of the West Australian teams that are red and blue um, because, of course, once we played that preliminary final game and everyone got so excited, you you just could not buy any anything that was red and blue in Perth. It was just everyone jumped on board and there was a there was an amazing groundswell. So um, we've actually had to start shipping merchandise over here to Perth um, so that people can we can fill the demand. Gary, can you confirm? Are we wearing our uh, our traditional strip for the grand final? The yes, I believe. Uh, yeah, that uh, they were bouncing that around, but um, as far as I've been told, yes, we are. Not the red back one. I saw some players wearing it in some promotional shots the other day. So no, okay, um, Gary. I don't want to get ahead of myself, uh, but should we be successful on the weekend? And even if we're not, are there plans to to make it up to the fans uh, in some way? The Melbourne-based fans, a COVID situation pending at some point in the future. Uh, for example, I- I'd love a photo with that Premiership Cup. Yeah, and um, <laughs> we're going to do that as soon as we can. So our our plans, even when we come over to Perth, was to come away here, 
commit to a month away to do everything possible and bring the cup pack. It was as simple as that. And we were hoping that the restrictions would have eased by then and we'd organised with the MCG or the MCC to come back and have a big family event back at the MCG. Now, as it's turned out, the, the cases have grown rather than shrunk and... Now what we'll do is, you know, it's a bit pointless coming back now um, and trying to engage with our supporters. We're, we're hoping that by the time the players come back from their break, so in early December, that COVID will allow. So we're, we're in constant conversations with the MCC, Stuart Fox there, about as soon as restrictions allow, um, we'll be wanting to have... A connection with the supporters, with the players, with the coaches, bring the club back together. Now that's regardless of winning and losing. I think we've we've already had a great year. We've already achieved a lot of things. We've already uh, created a dynamic where we've been away for a long time, and we want to connect with the supporters. But I think we all get the fact that uh, it's certainly going to be quite a different um, reconnection if we're if we've got a cup sitting in the middle of us all, you know, while we're singing the song. So, um, you know, that's the plan. We'll do it as soon as possible. Uh, for for planning over here, just so that everyone knows, um, on the Sunday after the grand final, if you win, whichever team wins, they go into the uh, what they call the AFL site in the city on the stage and they have a major event there with the supporters Um and uh, the team that doesn't win, uh, they will um, have another ground set up that they'll go to. So we'll, if we don't win, we would meet with our fans and supporters at the the Overly here in Jundalup. So um, that's that's how it plays out straight after from a Perth point of view. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for giving us your time today. We really do appreciate it. And as we mentioned, the club has been fantastic in connecting with the fans, uh, connecting us to back to the club whilst, uh, you know, we've been so disconnected by distance and lockdowns. It's an exciting time to be a demon. Let's bring home that uh, Premiership Cup. Great. Thanks, guys. And I appreciate your support during the year and the support of everyone that listens to the podcast because... Uh, we're trying to create a club that everyone's proud of and I can tell you now the emails and the text messages and the phone calls I'm getting, um, it's just so great to hear how proud everyone is and um, and hopefully we finish off the year in the same light. So a big thanks to everyone. Thank you thanks, very Gary. much. That was Melbourne CEO Gary Pert. Tomorrow night the boys and I will be back. We'll give you our big preview for the grand final we're going to deep dive into the, all the critical matchups, all the key players. We'll identify both clubs' strengths and weaknesses, and we'll give our predictions for the match. All that tomorrow night. Stay tuned. Go Demons. <laughs>